been ongoing for about one and a half years now, there has been no actual investigation of how it began. When science gets political on this week's On the Media. Saturday afternoon at 4. On Radio Catskill. Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater, an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. Welcome to Catskill Character. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg. Today's guest is Ed Epstein, a fine artist from Montpelier, Vermont, and a dear friend of mine. Ed is the total Renaissance man, and he has led a fascinating life, including his time here in the Catskills, dating back to his teenage years. This is one of my favorite shows, and how could it not be? Ed is fascinating, and we actually taped this show when we were on vacation in Italy. I hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm an artist and a musician, and being an artist also means doing a lot of other things. It may not seem like part of the artist's life, but it has been. It's, it's building and... Uh, you build, built your own home. Built probably about 10 houses, 21 boats, things like furniture and stoves. Ten years I was, for 10 years, I was building wood-burning stoves in Vermont. An underground stove, sort of. Uh, traveled around by word of mouth, the whole notion. And uh, yeah, it's just one of the things I worked on in, in my life. Now, you said you built 10 homes, but I know in one of the homes that you built, you built a place where you could build boats, and you weren't really sure why you were building that originally. Well, I know why I was building it. I was building a house to live in. But while I was uh, building it, well, we poured a slab, ground-level slab, the ground was wet, so there was no possibility of doing a basement there. While I was standing on the slab, looking up, planning the rest of the building, I thought, oh, I'm going to build tall ceilings down here. This is going to be my shop, and I don't know why I'm building tall ceilings, but I know that someday I'll be very glad that I did. So I uh, put in 10-foot ceilings there and then built the living space on top of it. A couple of years later, I found myself starting to build boats. Yes, that 10-foot that height was absolutely minimum necessary for what I was later to require in building the boats. Yeah, the largest boat was a 36-foot schooner, which took up every bit of that height. While working on the roof of the cabin, I was stretched across, <laughs> sort of supporting the, the floor beams on my shoulders while I was stretching my arms in the space between the, the floor beams, the roof, putting, you know, doing final work on it. Yeah, it was pretty tight. And is that the, the boat that you sailed down to Trinidad? Yes, that, that, was, that was the boat that I launched as my traveling home, which I thought I would probably spend the rest of my life on. And uh, yeah, I launched it in 1998 and took off for the Caribbean. Now, you mentioned before that you are a musician, but one of the unusual instruments that you play uh, is the pan, correct? 
Steel pan, drum. Pan. Pan. Oh, I thought it was pan. <laughs> oh, that's Italian. <laughs> yeah. That's how we say it in Italian, which is where we're sitting right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a, the pan is a steel drum, which they call colloquially in Trinidad, called pan. Steel drum, it's a great instrument, exciting instrument. The, the only acoustical instrument of any consequence designed and built in the 20th century, built by basically uneducated people out of trash, out of junked 55-gallon oil drums. And contrary to the British government's uh, rules that no such thing be done, it was all done on the sly, and early players used to meet in the, in the jungles behind town to practice and play. And usually someone was on the lookout for patrols. And it became this great, incredibly sophisticated instrument from such humble beginnings, which is now played all over the world. Practically every country in the world has bands playing these instruments, and some of them are extremely advanced musically, as they are in Trinidad. That's quite a leap from the cello, which is what you played before. Yeah. I started when I was a young kid playing harmonicas, and I spent whatever pennies I had, saving my pennies, would buy old harmonicas from pawn shops for like 25 cents, 50 cents, 75 cents, a dollar. I spent a dollar once for, for a chromatic harmonica. It was, it was a huge amount of money. So I, I learned to play harmonicas when I was quite young, and then when I was 12, I picked up my sister's guitar. A few years later, I got a mandolin, a five-string banjo, and that was it. I was a folk musician until at the age of 19 when I discovered Bach, and I put, her, put away those instruments and started playing the cello. And I was a cellist for about 35 years, playing chamber music, but mostly the box, Bach cello suites. Then in my 50s, my fingers started going numb, and arthritis kind of made it difficult to continue playing. That's when I stumbled across steel drums and decided that was the instrument for me, and the drums required mostly wrist work rather than finger work. Yeah, I started playing pan probably about 21, 22 years ago. But I was in a band in, in Vermont after the first couple of years. One of the members of the band used to say to me, Oh, Ed, you got to come to Trinidad and play my father's band. <laughs> so he was from Trinidad. We went down there the first time. And the first of ten years that I was down there. We traveled within Trinidad, but and we, we made a couple of trips outside to, to other islands, but... Trinidad had an interesting history. They were still under the thumb of England for a while, but Trinidad's first president, I forget his name, he was very much beloved in Trinidad, and uh, he realized that pan, which, which originally was an instrument played by the gangs, by the ruffians, the hoodlums, there was a way that this could be harnessed as a positive force socially in Trinidad to get the bands and the gang members to work together, if possible, in a positive way, playing music rather than fighting each other. And over time, the instrument became more accepted by the general public. They kind of transferred their fighting into 
fighting for uh, playing against each other. So the competition between the bands became a band trying to outdo the others in quality of playing, which was certainly a big improvement. But it, it still happened during those early years that sometimes, well, in Carnival, you'd have uh, bands playing in the streets. A band, One band would be marching down the street, one street, playing their music, and, and down the next, another street would come another band, and they would meet at a corner, and, uh, and they would just drop their pans and attack each other with <laughs> sticks and rocks and bottles and sometimes mash up the other band's instruments. Lots of stories about that. Well, it's reminiscent of what goes on with rapping today. Gangs of rappers and sort of dueling, rapping with each other. It's kind of interesting. Best players became kind of heroes and uh, admired figures in the community. Practically every school in the country has a pad band, and so there are girls' schools that have pad bands or all-girl bands. So there's a part of, of the pan scene which is called pan around the neck, which is literally the pan is braced against your belly and, and, is, a, and is being supported by, by a cord or a line or lanyard around your neck, over your head, down from your shoulders, down and, and you just stand, walk along playing. That, of course, is single pan only. Most big bands have many multiple pans. So you have six bass, full, the full size 55 gallon drum, six of them, each one play, having four notes. So a six bass will have 24 notes that you can play. And uh, the, you can, of course, carry those around. There will be three pans on each side, and he stands in the middle and he jumps around, flinging his arms out because you, you have to be very nimble and banging away at the pans. Uh, and other instruments, there are two or three instruments together, and so you can't be walking with those. Those they're on stands. And you still play sometimes today? Yeah, I still practice sometimes. Uh, not as much as I should, of course. This happens with all musicians who fall out of the, the routines. But I hope to do more of that as, as my retirement, if it ever really materializes, <laughs> advances. This is Donna Fellenberg with my guest, Eddie Epstein, on Catskill Character on WJFF Radio Catskill. This is Ari Shapiro with NPR. People collect all sorts of things. Stamps, antique lamps, sports memorabilia. If you happen to collect cars and you're looking to make room for some new additions, look no further than this station. Pickup is free and you're helping make your favorite NPR programs possible. Learn more about it on this station's website and thank you in advance for thinking about helping public radio. Go to WJFFradio.org. This is Catskill Character. My guest today is Eddie Epstein. In the first half of the show, Eddie spoke about his many talents, including his love affair with the pan, and gave us quite a history of that instrument. In the second half of the show, Eddie's going to talk about Roscoe, New York, and how a city boy from Brooklyn fell in love with the Catskills. I'm Donna Fellenberg. Let's get back to it.
New York State Employment Service had this thing where they would place teenage boys on farms for the summer. Mostly it was planned to, not only to help the farmers for the summer, but, uh, but to get uh, problem kids out of the city. Uh, now, I wasn't a problem kid, except to myself, of course. But I was looking forward to getting out of the city and experiencing something different and earning a little money, well, <laughs> but very, very little. We paid $30 a month. Anyway, I, I, uh, I got assigned to a place in Roscoe, New York, and so we went on the bus. Let me see. You had to be a minimum of 5'8 and 135 pounds, and I think that I just barely made it helped along by a little exaggeration. I think I may have not been quite 5'8". So I remember stepping off the bus in Roscoe, New York, and this old man, old Arthur Cohen, standing there waiting for me, and I, I could see his crestfallen look on his face <laughs> when he saw me coming down. He was hoping to get some big strapping guy who was going to be able to do the real farm work. And here I was kind of, not quite frail, but pretty small. So I went home and went into the farm and spent the rest of the summer working my ass off. I mean, really hard work, as, you, as anyone knows farm work is. Um, and, uh, but as hard as it was, Yes, as hard as it was, I hated all of it. But, um, but I appreciated some things about it very much. The, uh, the it was the only farm in the area that did not have a tractor and that did all of the field work with horses. So uh, I was not not so stupid that I couldn't appreciate that fact. And uh, part of my early morning chores was to get the horses ready for the day's work, curry combed and cleaned up and brushed down and, and harnessed. I loved all animals, I loved the cows, we had 24 head of cattle. Plus I was doing lots of drawings. I was a teenage artist and I, I had always drawn nonstop. And uh, every subject matter interested me. And this were new subjects, horses, cows, calves, the scenes on the farm, the work scenes. but. Being as small as I was, it was the work was really hard. When I first got there, I couldn't lift a hundred-pound sack of feed off the back of the truck. Harnessing the horses, well, they were percherons, and they stood at the shoulder taller than I was. I had to lift or oh. hold this, this harness, leather and brass, and and all the weight of it. And I don't know, fifty, seventy-five pounds, whatever it was, you had to hold it just so get ready and throw it over the horse's back and, and hopefully everything would fall in place, things would fall on the other side. And uh, usually the first time or two I'd throw, fling it up there and it'd fall down and have to do it again and again. Uh, of course I got it eventually, but um, it was very hard work and most of the summer spent haying. Well. I hate to make this sound like an endless refrain, but it was very hard work haying. 
and I was clumsy, and I, Arthur would be yelling at me, Eddie, you can't lift the whole bale while you're standing on it. <laughs> no, no, it's not a bale. We weren't, it was we didn't have a baler. We, we made uh, piles of hay in the fields, and we drove the wagon, the horses and wagon, up to each pile, and I would pitch it, pitch the pile up onto the wagon while Arthur spread it out. You can't lift, uh, don't try and lift the whole thing in one forkful, eh? <laughs> and uh, don't stand on it while you're trying to lift it. Oh, God. It was hot, sweaty, the seeds, the hay seeds falling down your clothes, itching like crazy, and, and the old man going on at me constantly, <laughs> and I'm feeling totally incompetent and stupid. But... We got the job done, and, and actually the people, were, they were very nice to me. The old man was, was uh, short with me a lot, but it was frustrating for him because, because I wasn't... Of course, now previous, all the boys that they had had from the city before were big strapping guys and strong, but they were also a real handful because they were trouble. They were trouble in the city, and they were trouble there on the farm. They talked back to Arthur. They did the work, but they also were a lot of trouble. I wasn't anything like that. In fact, I was, I was sort of, they liked me. Arthur liked me in spite of himself. His wife, Merle, old Merle Campbell, she, she liked me. She had me helping her out in the kitchen sometimes. I learned to, I learned to bake pies. Oh, yes, the food. Mm. It was real farm food, and I had never eaten pies. We had pies for lunch and dinner every day. Fresh-baked pies, cherry pies, berry pies, every kind of pies, and um, lots of food, incredible amounts of food. And I had never tasted corn right, picked, picked right off the stalks. And, and when the corn was ready, Merrill would hand me the, a sack and say, go out and bring in the corn. So I'd go and get 20 ears of corn and I'd cook it and put it on the table. And wow, I, I could eat 10 ears at a sitting. It's just amazing stuff. Loved it. What kind of a farm was that? It was a small dairy farm. A dairy farm. And it was, it was located, if I remember this right, it was located a couple of miles north of Roscoe. Now, Roscoe at the time was a really dinky little town. And I, I, I went back to it a couple of years ago and did not recognize anything in the town. It's totally different. Trout fishing capital of the world. Wow. Well, we knew that it was that. Yeah, the uh, beaver kill was... Yeah, there were serious fishermen in the area. At the time, the... Center of the town for me, as I remember, was the creamery, which is that if in the morning, every morning we would drive the truck down with a couple of uh, hundred, hundred pound cans of milk, drive it to the creamery every morning. Did it, you go looking for the farm? We went. Yeah, we we did go uh, that day. We went looking for the farm, and I I found the road. And I was pretty sure, I am pretty sure that I found the road. And I was sure that once we found the road and we got up up on the hill, that I would clearly recognize the place because I, I have a t totally clear memory of the environment and the way the road curved at just 
at the house, but I did not recognize it at all. I just found all the fields and pastures were completely overgrown and was densely forested. And the one place where I thought that this was the place where the farm was, there was a barn there, and I believe, if I understand this correctly, it was the Brzezitwa farm, Brzezitwa, Teddy Brzezitwa. I remember that when we were there. It was, it was a Polish family who owned a farm not far from the Campbells. They had a lot of kids. I don't remember exactly how many kids. I think that what happened is that they may have become owners of the property that, that the Campbells had. And there was a what looked like a fairly new barn on the property that I thought was part of uh, Campbell's property. But I'm not sure because I couldn't really identify it. So, I, yeah, I think that uh, the Brzezitois family, as they grew up, I guess they, they got local property there and are still there because they, I noticed their names are in the phone book. So, you know, if anybody's listening to this and knows, knows of the area, well, you'd know a lot more about it than I do now. Mm-hmm. When you were at the Campbell Farm, once again, your musical ability had a part in what you were doing there. You want to tell us about that? Oh, yes. Let's see. So, you know, communities have July 4th festivals, events, picnics, cookouts. Uh, and there was this July 4th event there. I don't know exactly where it was. Uh, there was a stage there, and people got up and talked and acted, sang, whatever. I was there with my guitar and singing songs. And, and there, was a, there was a guy, this tall, skinny guy named Hank Smith. And he had a mandolin, and he was playing it. And I, and, uh, I got the impression that he was a, the town reprobate. He lived on the wrong side of the tracks. But he was a really good musician. And so I spoke to him, I talked to him. We hit it off. He invited me, he said, you can come down and visit, visit my shack, come down and visit me in my shack. I liked the mandolin, I played his mandolin a bit, and then he said, I have another mandolin at home which might be, you might be interested in obtaining. So I did go to his house one evening. They had a shack uh, literally on the other side of the tracks. It was an odd situation, it was a really poor shack, and his wife, it was this tiny woman, she was a dwarf. Odd situation. And, uh, and he showed me this mandolin, uh, called the potato bug mandolin. Not a modern kind of flat back man, but this round back, sort of Italian style mandolin. And he said he could sell it to me for $5. So I went back to Arthur Campbell and he said, Arthur, I want to buy this mandolin, and could you advance me five dollars for my salary? And he said, "I don't want you. I don't want you spending time with those people." <laughs> Arthur was an I was a Scotsman. He had come to this country as a young man, and he still spoke with a strong Scottish brogue. So he said, "Yeah, I don't want you spending time with those people." I said, "I'm not spending time with them, but I want to buy this, and I'm, and it's my money. I think that you should." not refused it. So he, he gave me the money and I bought the instrument and yeah, I loved it. I learned to play that. 
I got to be pretty good at guitar and, ba- and mandolin. And it wasn't until the next year they started, started playing banjo. And did you go back to the farm the next year? Yeah, I did, in fact. Yeah, as much as I hated it, <laughs> as much as I hated it and couldn't... Yeah, I, don't, I don't think we could call this really hating it. Well, I hated the work, but, uh, yeah. but a friend of, of Arthur's was visiting, and he heard me complaining about the work. Oh, this is so hard. I can't wait to get home. I was counting <laughs> the days. And he laughed. He chuckled to himself. And he said, you know what? This winter, when you're in the city going to school, you're going to be remembering this, and you're going to be remembering very differently than you are now. Yeah. And you're going to want to be back again. And he was right, of course. In fact, when Christmas vacation came, I, I called up to Campbell's and asked if I could visit them over Christmas vacation. And they said, sure, come right up. And they welcomed me. And we spent a number of, number of days there, I worked with Arthur in the woods. And there wasn't that much work to do in the, all the winter, all the farm works in the summer mostly. Winter, we were, we were cutting some logs and skidding them out with the horses and, and splitting some logs into fence posts and soaking them in kerosene and creosote. But there wasn't much work. There was a lot of, a lot of just hanging around. And, and Arthur, had, Arthur was a great raconteur. He, he, I, think, I think he came, he was about 19 years old when he came to this country, and his first jobs were punching cattle. In the early 20th century, he was. Uh, he's based in Canada, I think. He worked on cattle drives from Texas or to, to Canada, driving cattle, different different herds, to shipping centers. And he had lots of stories. And he was, he was, he could be very funny, very droll when he's telling his stories. And I remember being so fascinated by them that I wanted more than anything else to come back with a tape recorder and record his stories. And I kicked myself for the fact that I never never did it. I thought yeah. it would be a great, great trove of stories. And then the next year I did come back to work again. And I remember when I told him that I wanted to come back again, Arthur had had to do some soul-searching. Well, did he, did he really want to have me back or have someone stronger? But, they, yeah, they, they welcomed me back. And, and, uh, and I had a much better year the second year. And I was stronger and better able to, to do the work. Well, Ed, it's been really great talking to you. And I'm sure that um, the listeners for WJFF have really appreciated hearing about your life. I think maybe sometime we'll get to talk about, there's so many other stories that you have, including your near-death experience on your floating home outside of Trinidad. Maybe some other time we can get to talk about that, but I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, so thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm Donna Fellenberg. Join me again next week for more Catskill Character, right here on WJFF. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Calicoon Theater, an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at thecalicoontheater.com. 
Support for WJFF comes from Two Queens, offering coffee, tea, and bees. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. TwoQueensCoffee.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Pomegranates and walnuts, orange blossom tea, crispy rice, and caramelized herbs. This week, we talked to four brilliant Persian cooks. Samin Nosrat, Najmiye Batmanglich, Naz Deravian, and Bezad Jamshidi. Their flavors are phenomenal, and their stories are beautiful. That's The Splendid Table from APN. Sunday at noon on Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville, building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978. Homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. Riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Neversink General Store, featuring an award-winning chef, smoked barbecue year-round, local products and catering, now offering takeout, neversinkgeneralstore.com. And from listeners like you. Trying to make it real compared to what... Harriet Tubman is running for her life. She is running for her freedom. We as black women today, we want financial freedom. We want to be physically healthy. We want to be mentally fit. We want freedom from whatever ailments that are troubling us. For us, even though the circumstances were different, we still felt the urgency. This is something that needed to happen for a time as this because other black women need to see that it's possible to overcome through extreme challenges because we're living in extreme times right now. Inspired by Harriet Tubman, 10 women dig deep, walking 100 miles in five days. Why? Coming up on the Janice Adams Show, Girl Trek. Oh, the power of walking. First, the... 